All right, why don't you turn to Habakkuk chapter 3, please. Habakkuk chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, and then we're going to jump to verse 16 through 19. The message entitled, Faith is Superior to Sight. Judah was going to be judged by God through Babylon. So certain was this that God told Jeremiah three times to no longer pray for the people. That is devastating. Jeremiah 4, 16, 11, 14, and 14, 11. Three times. Habakkuk is contemporary. Yet the prophet Habakkuk, in his entire book, is a great example of prayer. He began his prayer of complaint in chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. He moved to this prayer of confusion in chapter 1, verse 12 through 13. And then he responded with a prayer of contrition in chapter 2, verse 1. And he ends up with a prayer of confident intercession in chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, and 18 through 19. The whole book's about prayer and through prayer. So what we want to do is look for our final message at the confident prayer response of Habakkuk to God's revelation of the coming judgment, which is characterized by three things. Let me read here, beginning chapter 3. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet on Shigenoth. O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known in wrath. Remember mercy. Then go to 16. When I heard my body tremble, my lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered my bones. And I tremble in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail and the field yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stall, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet and he will make me walk on my high hills to the chief musician with my string instruments. The confident prayer response of Habakkuk to God's revelation of the coming judgment is characterized by the following three things. First, we have the petition by faith, verse 1 and 2 and 16. They're tied together. Second, we have the proclamation in faith, verse 17 and 18. And thirdly, we have the preservation through faith, verse 19. The petition by faith comes first. Verse 1 and 2 and 16. Notice in verse 1, the prophet Habakkuk recorded instructions for his prayer. Interesting note. He identifies the prayer as his own. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet. The word prayer refers to an intercession of lament to God for divine intervention, meaning help. Habakkuk understood the difficult situation that we're in. Some of the Psalms are referred like this a prayer, Psalm 17, 86, 90, 102, and 142. Remember the name Habakkuk means embrace. Habakkuk's heart is hurting for his people, but he sees the evil and he's and he sees God's judgment and he intercedes for them now at this point. 
The directive notice for the prayer is that it is to be sung with musical accompaniment. Uh, the word shiganoth means, uh, uh, well, people don't really know what it means. We're not sure. Yet, because of the context and all, it is a liturgical psalm hymn to be accompanied with musical instruments for the temple choir. This is very clear. Um, some of these things, the shiganoth is also appears in Psalm 6, 8, 12, 22, 15, 45, um, different aspects. If you put in your computer uh, the name, and it'll come up on your website there. Now, the prayer song is directed to the head of the temple choir, the chief musician. Uh, with my string instrument, um, it could imply once uh, that uh, Habakkuk was a Levite, as we said once before. Uh, string instruments was used to carry out worship as well as others instruments that we'll see. First uh, Chronicles 25, when David was arranging all the things of the priest and everything, he mentions them. And um, notice the prophet Habakkuk in verse 2 recorded the particulars of his intercessory prayer now, once he's identified it. Um, he acknowledged his godly fear. Oh Lord, I have heard your speech, listen, and was afraid. Habakkuk addressed God by his covenant name, Yahweh. We've seen this often. God is Elohim, usually identified with the Creator. Lord, Adonai, is his possessiveness or his authority over the person, kind of like the Greek kurios, Master, Lord. Habakkuk, notice, had just heard how God was going to um, use Babylon. And then after using her, he was going to judge uh, her but he was going to use Babylon to be the instrument of his judgment for Judah. He has just seen this. The vision was sure and certain for the near future. So he was um, to record it, to warn and remind people that God had revealed it before it would happen. There in chapter 2, verse 2 through 5. Record this so that he who reads may run. The five woes follow in chapter 2, verse 6 through 19. Severe judgment to come. When he sees this in his vision and he's hearing the voice of God, he, he, he gets this godly fear and the awesomeness of the judgment. Today, we tell people that God has come in judgment. They make fun of it. There's no fear, even within the church. Everything is, oh yeah, this and that. Like it's information. It hasn't penetrated. It hasn't gripped our heart. One definite characteristic of the Jesus movement with Jesus people when, when God was using Pastor Chuck in the late 60s and 70s when we got saved, we knew that we knew Jesus was coming. We never thought our children would grow up to marry and have children. We believed He was coming and I believe it just as much today. That fervency is not in the church today. The fervency in the church is, let's get comfortable. How can we help people out? No, we're here to save people, to preach the gospel and warn them from the judgment to come. Habakkuk became afraid over the coming judgment. The word fear there means to be terrified in awe of the dreadful judgment coming to Judah through the hand of Babylon. The prophet was gripped with his reverential godly fear seeing nothing could be done and no one would escape it. 
Notice he made three petitions in his intercession here in verse 2. First, that God would reconcile his people after the judgment. Oh, Lord, revive your work in the midst of your of the years. Habakkuk addresses God again by his covenant name, Yahweh. And he intercedes that he revive, meaning to have life, literally keep alive with the redemptive power. There was a remnant of the people of Israel that would come back, return, trust God. Not everybody. The second, that God would make his work and himself known in the midst of years, make it known. This is the whole purpose of God declaring something before it happens. And when it happens, he gets the glory. His judgment as well as his redemption. Because he's a holy God. He's just in both of them. Both are deserving. One deserving because of sin. The other one because of repentance from sin. He is holy. In other words, that God be true to his prophetic time of judgment. This is not to remind God, but simply an expression affirming God's faithfulness to his prophetic word. If God has said it, it's going to come to pass. Whether you and I can figure it out, whether we think it's a contradiction, whether we think there's a problem here, it doesn't matter. God's not wrong, it's me. We always think we know more than God. Somehow we have found that failure in the Bible. And wisdom resides with me, and when I die, it's all gone. Wow. But notice thirdly, his intercession that God would be compassionate through the judgment. In wrath, remember mercy. The wrath of God was over the sin of Judah. The word wrath indicates agitation, turmoil, and disquieted. Due to the times they were in trouble. Mercy means to be compassionate, to temper judgment by loving kindness, receiving less than they deserve. Law is what we deserve. We're guilty. Grace is what we don't deserve. We're saved by grace through faith. Mercy is less than we deserve. You see, we always want our pound of flesh, don't we? When it comes to us. But when we're the one, it's a different matter. Notice the prophet Habakkuk recorded the effect of God's revelation through his prayer now in verse 16. First in verse 2, what he saw in chapter 2 of the judgment. Now this is connected with prayer with what he had just saw in chapter 3. Fear gripped the prophet again. Verse 16, when I heard my body tremble, my lips quivered at the voice. He's seeing and hearing. The hearing was of two things. The future return of Jesus Christ to judge the world as a mighty word to set up the kingdom. In chapter 3, verse 3 through 6. What an awesome thing. We'll get into it tonight. There's always short and long-term fulfillments and prophetic also. The past judgments of God to certify that he would judge present sin in Judah and Babylon. Then is revealed in chapter 3, verse 7 through 15. When he sees all of this, he's gripped with fear once again. The effect was emotionally and physically. Notice in 16, his body refers to the visceral area where all emotions are felt, particularly fear and anxiety. You ever be fearful? It gets you in your gut. You get a nod, you're nervous, and you know, it, 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 your stomach ache. 
The visceral area, the old King James, the bowels of mercy, meaning from here. You feel it. Tremble, to quake, to shake. His lips quivered, meaning the tingle, comprehending the horrific power and justice of God. And how no one can stand. And how just he is when he brings judgment. Like Isaiah says, woe is me, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts, the captain of the armies of heaven. He's a victorious warrior in chapter 2 and chapter 3. He's never lost a battle. Notice, faintness overcame the prophet. Rottenness entered my bones and I trembled in myself. He became unsteady. Rottenness entered my bones, he says. The word rottenness means to decay. Rather than the bones in his legs being able to hold him up, to stand erect and balance, he became unstable. He's so overwhelmed with it. To my shame, I've never been affected that way when I read about the judgment of God. These men were godly men. They, they understood. They walked with God in a way that should be an example for us and we should be jealous of them. He was physically and emotionally overcome and I trembled in myself. Uh, Habakkuk is not trying to fill up space to have a big book. He's trying to express himself and how it's affected here. The word tremble again is like the previous one, to shake, to quake. That's where the Quakers got their name because they were standing and quake at the filling of the Spirit. <laughs> okay, that's where they get their name. <laughs> the vision had so affected Habakkuk that he was in shock. This is nothing new. Daniel 8.27, Daniel fainted and was sick for many days after his vision. Notice that in spite of this godly fear and the fear of the awesome judgment of God, faith triumphed over the prophet's fear. In verse 16, that I might rest in the day of trouble when he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. The clear revelation of God's faithful justice, though horrible, was deserved by Judah, resulting in Habakkuk accepting and trusting the ways and the will of God. He came to grips with it. I'm wrong, Lord. You're right. I rest in you. Everyone has to come to that place in life in certain times for different things. The word rest means to settle down, remain, to be reposed quietly. The time is in the day of trouble, distress, when Babylon would destroy Jerusalem and take Judah captive. Read Jeremiah, the last chapter, the horrific breaching of the walls and the famine that existed before, and women were eating their children, and gangs were 
going around the city killing and raping and pilfering and everything and and the gates are burnt down and people and women, men being led to captivity and horrible. This is confirmed by the two phrases when he, Babylon, comes up to the people, he, Yahweh, will invade them with his truth because Babylon would be the rod of his anger as much as Assyria was for the northern kingdom. You know, the only way we can and will be effective intercessors is that we love God supremely and we have compassion for those in sin because we have personally understood the destructiveness of sin as well as the forgiveness of God. We've been there. Jeremiah interceded that God would remember them in the lamentation after the destruction. He stood outside the city, weeping over the city. And he says, unless you have utterly rejected us and are very angry with us, Lamentations 5.22, read chapter 5. It's a horrible description. Chapter 4, the golden city, the men, the women, the blackness on their face, the destruction, all of this. Horrible. You know, the prayers of believers are now made possible only in the name of Jesus Christ, no one else. Listen to Hebrews 4, 15 through 16. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in time of need. Jesus was human and he was God. Just like us, tempted in every way, so he understands. Faithful high priests. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holies of, by the blood of Jesus Christ, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Faith, you're going to hear repeated all through this text and also in the application because faith and the Word of God go together. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. If your faith is not based on the Word of God, it's foolishness. Real simple. For through Him we have access by one Spirit to the Father, Ephesians 2.18, in whom we have boldness and access and confidence through faith in Him, Ephesians 3.12. Anyone who tells you you can get to God and you can speak to God and you can be led by God and guided by God, protected by God, apart from Jesus Christ, is a liar, a thief and a robber. John 10 is very, very clear. You see, the responsibility of the believer to intercede for saints that are living in sin and have gone back into the world is a great responsibility, crying out that they repent and return to God because he is merciful. Merciful. Though he causes grief, yet he will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies, Lamentations 3.32 says. But judgment is without mercy to those who show no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment, James 2.13. That's for you, that's for me. I am that evil servant who was forgiven millions and I want those pennies back. That parable is not there for me to say, oh, what a terrible guy. It's for me to say, that's me. Hmm. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy, Matthew 5, 7, Jesus says, on the Beatitudes. Less than we deserve. We're to have godly fear regarding trials and testings that through prayer we might come to a peaceful rest. Listen to Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your path. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Proverbs. Read them. One chapter a month. You'll read them 12 times a year. Like an apple a day. Keeps the doctor away. Be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6-7. Where the warfare goes, your mind, your heart, and this and that. And you put the armor on. You bring into captivity to the beatings of Christ. The attack is against the word of God. What God has said. About you and for you and others. You see, the petition of faith was based on the word of God. Solid ground. Next comes the proclamation in faith, 17 through 18. Notice in 17, the faith of the prophet Habakkuk was expressed in trustworthy hope. There's a transition here. I know so, not I hope so. Habakkuk knew that though the coming evidence would be to the contrary effect of the judgment, he was settled. He had a trustworthy hope in spite of all this. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is a substance of things hopeful, the evidence of things not seen. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is the reward of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews eleven six. The word and faith. Faith is what produces. The word is what produces faith. It's the product of it. So if your faith does not reflect and regard and stand on the word, then it's not biblical faith at all. A lot of things are being said today. People are depending and trusting a lot of things that are not biblical. They affect them emotionally and intellectually, but it doesn't transform the heart. Faith is always related in the product of the Word of God. Romans ten seventeen. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Notice Habakkuk here in 17 knew there would be no one to care for the fruit trees in the land. The certain hope is in spite of all this absolute understanding of the horror that's going to happen. Listen carefully. Though the fig tree may not blossom nor fruit be on the vines, it doesn't matter. Judah would be in captivity for 70 years. The land would be desolate and wasted. The fig tree, as you know, was a symbol of the nation of Israel, Habakkuk 9.10 and Joel 1.7. Then Habakkuk knew there would be no one to work in the olive orchards. Though the labor of the olive may fail, even though this may happen, my trustworthy hope is in God's promises. No one to water and to trim the trees. No one needed to 
harvest them. No fruit. The olive tree, very important for the product of oil and other things. The olive tree, again, a symbol of the nation of Israel. Hosea 14.6, Matthew 24.32, Romans 10.24, just to mention a few. I learned a parable from the fig tree in Summers 9. The fruit, I'm around the corner. And then notice Habakkuk knew there would be no one to cultivate the fields, and the fields yield no food. The stone walls in the fields would be crumbled and dilapidated through the 70 years. The fields that used to yield food for the people would bear thorns and thistles. The fertile soil would be carried by the wind and be parched. Habakkuk also knew there would be no shepherds to lead the or protect the sheep. Though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stall. Even when this happens, my trust is in God. The herds would be taken to Babylon, the shepherds killed or carried off the captives. The stalls would be abandoned, empty. Now all these things he has said, God promised them in Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28. If you do this and disobey me and turn away from me, I'm going to get you. So whenever you see God's judgment, always remember Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28. 27 is the blessings. 28 is the cursings. Those three chapters are very important for God's judgments. God promised. Notice that the faith of the prophet Habakkuk was an express commitment to believe the promises of God then. Not the present or the coming difficult times. Habakkuk would set his heart and mind on the person of his God. Listen to his words. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, Yahweh. A decision that was personal. Yet I will. Each person will have such decisions to make in their lives. 60, 70, 80 years you will live. You're going to have to make this decision many, many times in the Lord. Each one will have to hang on to the promises of God. Our flesh will attempt to justify itself in not trusting and obeying God, but it will always sacrifice the abundant life that we could be experiencing. That's the choices we make. No one else can make them for us. Satan will be there to tempt us as well as to stumble us by our carnal thoughts and self-centeredness and the situations that we reason away. The world will tell us we're crazy to believe and live for God. Habakkuk says, I'm going to trust God. Notice the comment. As well as the commitment here and focus was not going to be on the horrible circumstances, but in the Lord Yahweh. Once again, I will rejoice in the Lord. Wow.
Habakkuk would abide in sweet fellowship with his God, clinging and enjoying his presence and his words, in spite of all this stuff going on. This is a believer. It's a dichotomy. It's a, almost a seeming contradiction. But it's the reality of what God does in us and through us. The word Habakkuk uses, rejoice, means to exult or triumph. Literally, I will jump up and down and spin around. See, people think you're crazy. I'm crazy. Because, you know, they're in the world. And because you're not freaked out, you're not going crazy. They think you're crazy. They think you're irresponsible. They want you to be crazy like them, frantic like them. Notice his perspective to enjoy life in spite of the taking of Jerusalem. And the captivity was based solely on his relationship to God. That's it. That's it. Like a child, no matter what's going on, you know, he's afraid and all, oh, I heard a noise, this and that, and all it does is a mom comes in and just lays right by him and puts it to, to his side and everything's cool. Wow. Now, this does not mean a Christian lives in a make-believe world denying reality. Like President Obama this last Friday saying that we live in the safest world, the most economic sound world, and the less violent time in our history. I'm amazed he has not been relieved of his office and put in a sanitarium. <laughs> he lives in Obama land. My Lord. We're not like that. We're not denying the reality, but rather that we are putting our trust and dependency to enjoy life in Christ. Just like Habakkuk says here. These things are real. These things are going on. If you're looking for pie in the sky, you've got to wait till you get to heaven. It's not here. Notice Habakkuk would set his mind on the God who saved him. I will join the God of my salvation. The decision was personal again. I will joy. Each person decides throughout their lives how they will respond to difficult times, disappointments, tragedies that come into their lives. No one's the same. Some people, it pushes them over the edge. Some people just will not yield to God. Some people just can't handle it. That's why we will be responsible while we trip people up in what we do. Through our words, whether they be true, they be lies, or whatever it is, we are responsible. Because whenever we do something, we affect somebody else. We never know how people are going to respond. The believer does not joy over the tragedies and bad things that happen in life as some pessimist but rather in looking and trusting that God to work on their behalf for good as Romans 8.28 says the word joy there means to be glad which is contrary to the devastation to come so you have peace and joy and people can't take that 
They, 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 they get mad at you. Because you're trusting God, because you're obeying God. Wow. And that even sometimes happens with other Christians. Because they're carnal. And they want you to be just like them. Notice the commitment and focus was going to be on the God of my salvation. The one who had forgiven his sins, the one who had revealed to him the perfect judgment without violating his holiness. The one who would be sufficient for the most difficult times of his life. This is the one he's trusting. Listen to Job. And again, he illustrates this point so perfectly because he, he wasn't a guy printing up a book over in academia. Uh, it was a witness of the horrible things that came to his life. Though I, he slay me, yet I will trust in him, he says. I have not departed from the commandment of his, of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Job 13, 15, and 23, 12. The word, ladies and gentlemen. In the first service, I said, look at all these empty seats. They should be filled with people listening to the word of God. People take R&R &R from God every once in a while. They just figure, well, I've already heard this. Well, you eat breakfast every morning, but you never say, well, I already ate yesterday. <laughs> but we don't see the correlation, do we? There will be times in our lives when everything is going wrong. It just couldn't get any worse, we think. You've lost your job. Your wife or husband has left you, and now they've told you you have cancer. Sometimes this is due to living in sin and God will use it to bring a person to the end of themselves either to save them or to have them return to God. Jesus told the blind man, he says, don't, 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 don't go back or, or a worse thing will happen to you because what happened then was because of sin. So it's not always, but sometimes it is. Paul said that God caused some to be sick and others he killed. 1 Corinthians 11.30. Ananias the fire was struck dead by God, right? At other times, there are tests and trials God has allowed to refine us and to perfect our faith. Listen to James 1, 2 through 8. He says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, faith, word of God, faith, Twinkies, with no doubting. For he who doubts is like the waves of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and stable all his ways. Now, it doesn't mean that we're not to doubt. I have doubts. You have doubts. We have complaints. We, we, we argue with the Lord. He doesn't mind all that. It's a person who is, I'm for him today. I'm not for him tomorrow. I'm then back. I mean, what would you think of that of your wife or your husband? Or, 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 or someone you were depending on? It's the same thing. The devastation in our country in the last eight years could very well be God's judgment in America. Some people don't like me to say that. Tough. 
I've got more biblical evidence for what has happened to America of God's judgment than not. The loss of business, jobs, affecting families, the highest unemployment and poverty in our history. The racial pitting and demonizing of policemen and dismantling of our military by Obama. It being the smallest in our history now. Replacing seasoned warrior generals with academic political generals. The national deficit of 20 plus trillion dollars. We can't even pay the interest on that. Listen to Hebrews 12.1 as we see all this thing like Habakkuk in our nation. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, those men and women of faith in chapter 11, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We understand what's going on. We, had, we, we connect the dots, but our hope is in God. We continue to preach and teach and warn and live looking for the soon coming of Jesus Christ. The place where Jesus is always wanting every believer to be at is to be totally content and satisfied with him in faith, having fullness of joy. Joy is a byproduct of obedience and brings transformation into the image of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit of God. Listen to Jesus. John fifteen eleven says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. John sixteen twenty. Most assuredly I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will return into joy. The death, the resurrection. John sixteen twenty four. He says, Until now you have asked me nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. For the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans fourteen seventeen. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans fifteen thirteen. The first manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit, agape love, is joy. Then follows peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Joy is the first manifestation of agape love that perfects us, that makes us like Jesus more and more. You see, the proclamation in faith was trusting the Word of God, faith in the Word. Third note is the preservation through prayer in verse 19. One verse. The prophet Habakkuk expressed he would be resilient and strength through the judgment by depending on God in faith. Strength. Habakkuk confessed he had not uh, trusted in his own strength. But on God's strength, the Lord God is my strength, he says. He knows all the facts. He knows what's going on. He lives in reality. This is the fourth time the covenant name Yahweh is used here in our text. Verse 2, verse 18, verse 19. The one who called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeas. The one who gave Abraham 
the land by promise, the one who gave David as the king to Israel, the one who gave wisdom to Solomon that all would seek him out, the one who judged the northern kingdom for their idolatry carried off by Assyria, the one who would now judge Judah, the southern kingdom through Babylon, the one who would bring them back after 70 years to rebuild the walls in the temple. In fact, Jeremiah in jail was doubting is, and God says, is there anything too hard for me? You, you, you mean I, I, you having a problem with me bringing them back? How am I going to do it? Don't worry about it. You're not God, Jerry. Wow. I'm glad Jeremiah put that in there. He's just like me. <laughs> the covenant name was given to Moses by God. You remember in the Exodus, in Exodus 3, 13 through 15, Moses said to God, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, what's his name? What shall I say to them? Verse 14, God told Moses, I am who I am. The word is in the singular verb, to be, to happen, meaning continuing unfinished action. I am being that I am being, active present. Doesn't sound good in English, but that's what it is. (laughs) I will be that I will be expressing the perfect condition and dependent existence to meet their seeming impossible situations to the present. He's going to get them out of Egypt, judge the gods of Egypt. The context verified the meaning God would be sufficient for the inadequacies of Moses and the questions and doubts of the children of Israel. I will be whatever you want me to be and allow me to be. I am your all in all. Your personal relationship to me is vital. Wow. In verse 14 of chapter 3 of Exodus, God said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am. He who exists and will all be all you need in the present. He's the one. The existing one, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. Some have called this the isness of God, of Israel. Moses personally was to declare this to their children of Israel, that he was a covenant God. Who had sent him. Not the title of Yahweh. The God of the patriarchs. Listen to verse 15 of Exodus 3. It says, Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord Yahweh, God Elohim, your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob, has sent me to you. Again, the word, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, is what is called the tetragrammaton, the four consonants, Y-H, V-H, or W-H, we're not sure. No vowels were put in it because they didn't want to pronounce the name of God. They thought it was too holy. God never told them to do that. That's what they did. And so the word is based on the same verb, I am, to be, the becoming one. The God of all generations of the Jews after the patriarch. This is my name forever and this is my memorial to all generations. This is the name that he wants to be known by. This was God's name forever revealing his person. His character, authority, power, all that he was, his reputation, the name was a memorial to all generations, his acts, his mighty deeds through all of the generations that he had encountered then up to now. This is the name God. The same God who is now the strength to Habakkuk in this very difficult time. The word strength there means ability and efficiency for the future ahead. He is more than sufficient. And so notice Habakkuk described 
in a vivid, picturesque way the affirmation of the sufficiency of God's strength for him. Listen carefully. He will make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me walk on my high hills. Not high heels, but hills. Okay? Habakkuk was not a transvestite. God would make Habakkuk an overcomer as a deer's feet hitting the high places with a sure-footedness in the rough and difficult terrain not to be tripped up. Treading on dangerous paths ahead. Steady with stamina. This goes back to Psalm 1833, the deer. When the deer sees danger, they hit the knife and they're out of there fast. Ability. God would make Habakkuk walk on his high hill, referring to God's strength and fellowship to sustain him victoriously. Being able to see, you get on a high hill to see. You're not in the valley, the depression. Nehemiah said, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions to those whom nothing is prepared for. This day is holy to our Lord Yahweh. Do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord Yahweh is our strength, your strength, Nehemiah 8.10. That chapter is when they began to learn the word of God again. The exposition. Wow. Then the prophet Habakkuk closes his book with instructions regarding his prayer. Habakkuk directed the instruction to the chief musician. The chief means the prominent, the superintendent, the preeminent one over the musicians. We don't know who he was. When David set up the arrangement for the temple service regarding singers and musicians and all the services and accompaniment, some of the prominent persons that come up, one of them is Asaph and his sons in First Chronicles 25, 2 Chronicles 29, 30, and 35, 15. Some of the psalms you'll read, a psalm of Asaph. Many of the psalms have musical accompaniment, as we've mentioned. So as we stated in our introduction, that probably Habakkuk fits best in the reign of Jehoiakim, 609 to 598. When Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem and made him a vassal, you find that in 2 Kings 24 also. Though some do place him in Manasseh's reign, but I think it's too early, and others place him in Josiah's reign, 639 to 608, but I think he fits best in Jehoiakim's. But whatever the date makes no difference. The events took place, God spoke to him, the word was a, a, a very clear warning to those who were falling under judgment and an incredible revelation for the encouragement and the instruction to the people of God who would walk in faith. Notice Habakkuk specifies the kind of instrument to be used in the accompaniment of the psalm and the song here. With my string instrument, there were many instruments used in the temple, as you know. I think Psalm 150 is a good example. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty firmament. Praise Him in His mighty acts. 
Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the lute and the harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with the string instruments and flutes. Praise him with the loud cymbals. Praise him with the clanging, clashing cymbal. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord Yahweh. Praise the Lord Yahweh. Psalm 151-6. Christianity is the only, only, let's call us a religion, if you will, that have anything to sing about. We have living hope. We have a live Savior. He defeated death. And he's coming for us. And he's coming to judge the world, ladies and gentlemen. String instruments are mentioned also. And Samuel told Saul that when he got to the hill of God in the Philistine garrison, he would meet a group of prophets coming from the high place with string instruments, tambourines and flutes and harps, and prophesying in 1 Samuel 10.5. Psalm 61 one says to the chief musician on string instrument, the psalm of David, hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. Kind of like Habakkuk. The opening chapter, uh, in chapter 3, we already saw, gave us the word shiganoth. And then, though, it's, though it's uncertain by most, but it could refer to the mode of performance with enthusiastic bravado by musical accompaniment at the temple choir of First Corinthians, uh, First Chronicles twenty-five. Now, if so, if it's talking about the bravado of the musical, kind of like an upbeat, then it's interesting because it's supposed to be an upbeat message. This prayer song is supposed to be not a downer, not a bummer. In spite of the devastation that's to come, this was to be celebrated in an upbeat spirit because God had been righteous in his judgment and he would still redeem his remnant and he was still on the throne and he would still keep his promises. Are we clear on that? Wow. He would be faithful to redeem his remnant. He speaks about it in chapter 3, verse 13. And so the connection could imply that Habakkuk was a Levite. Now, though we have uh, many examples of faith depending on God for strength, Jesus is the supreme example. Listen carefully. I'm going to repeat verse 1 of Hebrew 12. I'm going to read it down to 4. He said, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight of sin that so easily asserts us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author of the finish of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. By the way, the, uh, um, uh, the thing that he endured, um, the endurance of the race, is not that, that many would be saved, but the fact that we, he would be reconciled back to the Father. Okay? That was his joy. That he was going to be with the Father. And then he says here, um, Enduring the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God, for consider him who endures such hostilities from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. You have not yet resisted the bloodshed striving against sin. 
It's a slap in the face to us. Get serious. You want to know what suffering is? Is when you have done nothing regarding suffering or deserve suffering. You're epitome of holiness and you suffer for others. Your master. Wow. That levels the playing field, ladies and gentlemen. We have the hall of faith in the book of Hebrews. Let me just mention a few. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things yet not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark and saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which according to faith, Hebrews eleven seven, faith in the word of God, what God revealed. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instruction concerning his, his bones. Hebrews eleven twenty two. Hey, God's going to visit you. Take me out of here. Hebrews eleven thirty two through 36. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, also of David and Samuel, the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, work righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness, were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of aliens. Still others had trials of mocking, scourging, yes, and of chains and imprisonments. Hebrews 11, 32 to 36. Wow. We have, and we are no different than Paul. Habakkuk, or any other believer in history, let me give you the conditions for triumphal victory in faith. Isaiah 40, 29 to 31, he gives power to the weak, and those who have no, uh, no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. And you, ah, I can do. He says, natural strength is nothing. You can't keep up with me, God says. And the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The strength goes from heaven to earth, not the reverse. Jesus said to his disciples, listen carefully. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. He goes from the branches to the application. He's talking to his disciples. I am the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone, if anyone, he goes from the illustration to the person, his disciples. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If there is no possibility of you walking away from God and not abiding, then Jesus is speaking heresy. Why would he say that? It's simple. Don't rationalize it with Calvinism or eternal security. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live in the flesh. I live it by the faith of the God who loved me and gave himself for me in the crucified life. Denying, picking up your cross daily. Not that him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we can ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church of Jesus Christ in all generations forever and ever. Amen. Ephesians 3, 20-21. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Philippians four thirteen. Paul says. Paul was given a thorn in the flesh, as you know, to keep him humble. 
to perfect his faith, the messenger of Satan to buffet him. Listen to his own words in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. And he said to me, speaking of God, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength and my perfect weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I will take pleasures in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, I am strong. Wow. Let me leave you with some lessons from Habakkuk. The prophet begins in gloom, ends in joy. The prophet begins confused in prayer, ends confident because of prayer. The prophet begins by talking to God, ends up listening to God. The prophet begins with a problem, ends believing God's promises. The prophet begins pleading judgment, ends interceding for revival and mercy. The prophet begins not understanding the work of God, ends up trusting the ways of God. The prophet begins hopeless and ends up with great hope. You know what the key is? God revealed it to him. Habakkuk 2.4. Listen. The just shall live by faith. Let me change it. It's the same. The just shall live by the word. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word God. The word is what produces faith. You need to be around to hear the word of God in the church. You need to study the Word of God and read it on your own. Your children need to hear it. They need to read it around your house. The Word of God. The preservation through faith was depending on the Word of God. This is the confident prayer response of Habakkuk to God's revelation of coming judgment. Characterized by the petition by faith that was based on the Word of God. The proclamation in faith was trusting the word of God. And the preservation through faith was depending on the word of God. People get up and say, what do you guys do? You guys just study the word? Yep. I can say, well, what do you do, Jesse? Yep. You need to be nourished, grow, develop, mature. Into Christ, the Word of God. Father, thank you for your grace and love, your goodness. We love you, we thank you. And Lord, we pray for ourselves that we would just yield to you. And Lord, we thank you for your patience and mercies and your love. And Lord, we pray if there's anyone but here who doesn't know you, Lord, that you would just make yourself known of their lostness and sin and their need of you and your love and grace to forgive them. As you're praying, if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved. Right now where you sit, you can call upon his name, ask him to forgive you, ask him to save you, and he will give you his Holy Spirit and he will cast your sins as far as east as the west, bearing them deep as ocean and make you his child. If this is your decision, right where you sit, if you're over the internet, you can say this prayer. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. 
Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.